Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode seven of this fellow show, the lucky number seven. Yes, we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about liquidity and lending with our guest that I'll introduce in a minute. But we'll start with introducing Matt on the tax. Matt, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Are you ready for the show today? Yes, we are testing some new new things because you will be the only one today. I'm very excited to to see your skills as the only host for the show. It's gonna be, it's gonna be tricky, but we'll we'll try it out. Uh, so yes. let me start then with uh, thanks, Matt. And he will be in the background assisting us with getting information up. If anyone has questions, please send them in on the uh, uh, the chat uh, wherever you're watching this or listening to this. Um, this. Show today is sponsored by Cefalo Premium. Uh, it's the latest product from Cefalo. That's uh, for people with a little bit of a bigger budget to invest in crypto. Uh, you get lower rates, you get personalized support at the same safe and simple user experience that tens of thousands of customers have trusted Cefalo with since 2013. So you go to cefalo.com slash premium, or you just simply go to cefalo.com and you can click on the link that is on the main page. So try it out and I will hope you enjoy that. Then uh, we'd like to remind everybody to make sure to subscribe. We're on uh, Twitter at CefaloAB. We got a slide for that, I hope. Boom. So at CefaloAB on Twitter, Cefalo on YouTube, facebook.com slash Cefalo on Facebook. And wherever you're listening this podcast on your favorite podcast show, it will be the Cefalo show. And with that, we will go to the main event of today, introducing our show, Ichenu. I practiced the name. <laughs> I hope I got that right this time. A CEO and co-founder of uh, Tesseract Investment, uh, previously known as Will Lent. Uh, so I, they went for the more corporate name. So we'll have to ask about that. Uh, background in tech and financial industries. Welcome to the show, Ichen. All right. A pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining. And uh, to start off with the first question, so you you guys were Will Lent before, uh, and and then at some point you changed your name. Was it too too cryptoy? The Will Lent. I, I I love the name. No, no. I actually there was a, there was a very specific reason why we did what we did. Uh, so so um, so Finland as a country adapted a a framework for for regulating. A cryptocurrency related uh, service provider and then mm -hmm. that framework came into play i think was it q4 2009 so last year q4 mm -hmm. last year and around that time we were uh the company itself was going through a transition moving from retail business uh, uh to more a b2b type of a business so 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 at that point we were gonna do a, a rebranding anyway uh, and then Tesseract uh, uh, Investment has always been the holding company of Wayland anyway. So we just decided to take the the, uh -huh. the, the ship's name. And then uh, uh, it, it, I, I promise you, if nothing else, this is not a very corporate name. Uh, uh, there was like four of our, four of us guys, super nerdy guys. We uh, uh, when founding the company, I was set at a bar and after I don't know how many beers, and Tesseract was like the nerdiest name you can come up with, basically between a bunch of mass geeks. So, so I, I wouldn't call that corporate at all. It's, if anything, it's a very geeky name. For those listening, remind us what Tesseract means. Right. As a name. So, so yeah. Oh, okay. Here comes the nerdiness. 
So, so <laughs> yeah, the, nerd the, out. So the actual, yeah, so the actual definition of Tesseract is the uh, it's a three-dimensional di- three representation of a four-dimensional cube. Uh, the easiest way to think about this exactly, right? Uh, that's that's typically how most people react to it. Uh, uh, it's the, this cool the, animation that you can find on YouTube where you see it, right? Like this, 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 this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I've but seen most it. People, most people actually ask me, did I name it uh, because of one of the, uh, it's it's an item, it's an infinity stone in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ooh. So a lot of people actually ask me, did I get the name? Uh, Are you there? a Marvel fan? It, but the funny thing is that we didn't know that until somebody asked that question. So we didn't, <laughs> I didn't know there was a, there was like an infinity stone. I have to go back to rewatch one of the movies. So, oh yeah, that's cool. that is called Tesseract. But but no, 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 it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was just, uh, uh, the, the easiest way to think about it is that basically we live in a three-dimensional world, right? But then mm. if you add time as a fourth dimensional, and then you think, okay, how do I uh, uh, represent that in a three-dimensional space, which is needed to, to mm. do a lot of the calculations? So mm. uh, that's where the thing came from. I know it, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I, li- I, li- I like the test rig. I'm just trying to think. I mean, obviously, when we're talking about blockchain technology, everything is timestamp mm. and time mm. is an important fa- factor to the security mm. of the blockchain. But how yeah. does it, how, how did you relate it to, because you, you guys work on, on we'll, we'll, we can sh- go onto the website in a second, but you guys are working on liquidity and lending out C. How did mm. you tie that to your business? Right. So, so basically, uh, so basically, uh, uh, the, they they weren't like uh they weren't like a kick ass story to to link those things together. But the original mm-hmm. idea why we wanted to uh, why we on, wanted to do that was because uh, at, at the point when we founded the firm, uh, most uh, w- when you go around you talk to everybody about cryptocurrency, uh, there's a couple of things everybody talk about. They talk about the price, right, which is a representation of the uh, of of the, what the exchange folks are doing. Uh, the other ones uh, topics is the fiat on ramp off ramp, which is a problem that you guys are talking about. Mm. And then the other, the third thing is basically that was around the time when ICO was still a thing. So people were talking about, okay, is Bitcoin gonna remain in dominant position, or is there something new gonna come up? Like those are the things that people always talk about. And then what was very important to us was that, okay, those things are important, but then there are other people solving it. We're not going to touch any of those stuff. What Mm -hmm. we want to do is that we want to explore another dimension of this cube that is otherwise super important. uh, uh, But then often people overlook it, right? Mm -hmm. Because often that's due to the fact that we perceive and experience our world in a three-dimensional world, in in a uh, uh, three-dimensional sense. Therefore, that is a framework we use to think about other things. But we would like to introduce additional dimension, additional dimension that is equally, if not more important, and yet nobody think about. Like that was kind of the underlying idea. I don't know if it ties really well with Tesseract as a concept. So, so well, des- describe your version of that dimension then. I mean, we're flatlanders in a 3D world, and you're introducing the four-dimensional Peace, peace to the crypto space. No, no, it was it, it wasn't necessarily like we were the fourth dimension, but rather that uh, rather than uh, uh, that we wanted to do the uh, uh, we wanted to do the credit risk side 
of this mm. entire financial system, right? Mm. If the original vision of, uh, uh, if, if, if like, I mean, if you read the, if you read the original white paper by Satoshi, what he wanted Bitcoins to be was a electronic cash system. He wanted right. to have a cash, like a, he wanted to have a payment thing, basically, right? Uh, but I think cryptocurrency is capable and potentially have the ability to transform a lot of the economic and financial system that we, we've come to uh, taken for granted, mm. right? Uh, and then if we take that premises as a given, then we cannot ignore the, the credit side of that financial system because that typically accounts for more than half of what's goes, what goes on. And if you just take the Satoshi's vision as, as face value, a payment system is not a financial system. Like it, a payment solution is not a financial system, right? There's a reason why you know PayPal isn't taking over Citigroup. There's a reason for that. So, right. so we wanted to bridge that essentially more or less. Interesting phrasing with Satoshi Vision. You gotta read the original white paper from time to time just to remind yourself of what you're doing, right? Right. At the same time, of course, uh, it wasn't the the aftermath of the financial crisis. So philosophically, one could assume that Satoshi did have like wider, you know, ideas of a wider implication of this than just the payment system alone, right? Mm. Or, um, or you disagree? Uh, I mean, I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? I didn't. Well, in, in the Genesis block, there was a reference to the uh, to the bailout of the um, Chancellor's bailout, and, and now I guess that in, in the Bitcoin halving block, they did another references to the trillion dollar oh, yeah. uh, the, the Coinbase, the Coinbase one, right? The one about the ex- the, the, the quantitative, like the amount of money that central yeah, bank they, is out, right, right, right? Yeah, they just did that recently in the Bitcoin halving block as well, yeah, which is yeah. a, a funny yeah, yeah. reference to the Genesis block, but. There, you know, it, it's a it's linking, uh, and obviously, Bitcoin itself was invented as a response to the uh, to the financial crisis of two thousand eight. But you know, of course, we can debate about the you know whether Bitcoin would ever be able to scale to the, that extent and do the type of things that I guess you're alluring to what you can do in Ethereum with more wider uh, financial assets and and wider applicability for programmable money than. You know, of course, there are people that still see that from Bitcoin side, but where as a as a world computer sort of Ethereum is ahead with what you can do there. Sound like Tesseract, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> well, um, you know, if you put a, if you put, a, if you put four, four half wasted nerds at a at a at a, at a bar in a gloomy wintering house, it was only one go, which has come up with two names. This is uh, this guy's is the best. Came up with. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is it. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, that's um, but let's let's leave that that discussion uh, for now. So so uh, because maybe we can go a little bit to the beginning of how you got into this and how it started. Because I, under, I understood you you started uh, from nothing, literally in in a, in your mom's basement. If I, I got it correctly, right, right, right. So, so uh, I mean, the whole the, the whole the whole story how I got into crypto is is pretty is it, I, I don't know if this is a fairly standard one, but definitely uh, 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 it's a pretty wacky one. Want to tell people? So, 
So the first time ever I came across cryptocurrency as a concept was around mm-hmm. 2014, maybe 14-ish, yeah. like somewhere there, somewhere there. Uh, I've heard about Bitcoin briefly at some point, but I just brushed it off because you know back then it wasn't anything. So so mm-hmm. your local paper didn't write anything about it. So oh, when what they wrote wasn't all that good. <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. So, so at that time, I was working at uh, at, at Microsoft, so the, the software yeah. company. I don't, I don't know if you, you guys know this, but uh, Microsoft run one of the largest security research center on the planet because they host mm. stuff for you know, Pentagons and you know whatnot. So at that point, I think there was a, there was like a very senior researcher from Microsoft Research on cybersecurity coming to Finland. I think he was pitching a product to the Nokia uh, uh, leadership team at that point. And for whatever reason, this guy decided to come by our office to just give a seminar about uh, what he's been, what he, what he has been working on, and to a large extent, what the security research team has been doing. So mm. at that point, they were uh, at that point they were spending a lot of time and energy looking uh, looking into. Uh, Darknet and what, what, what that's when Silk Road and all of those guys were up and running. Uh, uh, they were looking into that because uh, at that point the U.S. government was concerned about how this would how the dark web activities would impact things elsewhere. Right? Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And and then and then I haven't really been exposed to the idea of dark web, and I certainly haven't done anything there myself. But then after such a seminar, the first thing you do when you get home is, you know, you spin up a, like a Tor, uh, a Tor browser. Uh, uh, then you go to Darknet to, 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 to see what, what kind of shenanigans people were up to there. And it was there the first time I actually saw people were settling trades with Bitcoin. And then that was very interesting to me. I was like, okay, what the hell is this Bitcoin thing? Uh, then I started researching into it. And as, as someone who grew up in... Uh, I'm Chinese, by the way. So, so as someone who grew up in a country like China, where uh, where the government have absolute authorities over its population, the the idea of having a sense of wealth that is censorship resistant, so that the government can't just like show up and take your stuff away just because they feel like it, that was intrinsically valuable to me so so once i once i studied upon this particular concept of cryptocurrencies of well there was only bitcoin back then mm-hmm. uh, i was immediately sold on the philosophical value of this thing i was like okay mm. like you know given my background i can completely understand why this thing is useful like yeah. e- like like in, in in northern europe is another discussion i'm like for example in finland if the tax office show up at your door and take your stuff away probably you screwed something up right but 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 I mean the northern European setting of government transparency and 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 how little corruption is part of life cannot be extended to you know I would say like eighty percent of the global population. Most of the people that I know live on this planet face that problem to a certain mm-hmm. extent. So so I see a lot of value in that. And then I I I, uh, I have a degree in finance from school. So, so at that point, I was like, okay, this is interesting, and this barely resembles something like money slash assets slash equity slash commodity. I don't know what the hell this was. So, so, so you do what you do. So I go through all the materials, 
uh, materials uh, uh, and theor uh, theoretical foundations that I can find, and I try to understand this thing. Mm. But I couldn't, because none of the existing framework really worked all that well for this cryptocurrency thing. And I would even say, even uh, I will say, even today, we don't really have a good framework for it, right? So there's there was even less discussion on material available back then. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, this doesn't this 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 is wacky. Uh, I like this thing, uh, but I don't know what the fair value of this thing is because I don't have a framework. I don't have the analytics at place that I can typically use to evaluate things. So if I don't understand something, I'm not going to put my money into it because that would be just gambling. That's not investing. So I didn't I didn't put my money into it, which turned out to be a intellectually correct but financially disastrous. Right? No, but that's that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we this was 2014 made... still, right? Yeah, like so. This was like nothing. It's like way before Ethereum come up and all of that stuff, right? Mm. So, so this was uh, uh, so. Yeah, we, we, I mean, as humans, we only make decisions at the point in time with the information we're given at that point in time. So, you know, no regrets, no regrets, that's fine. So, but then I was like, okay, I I, I'm ex I, I believe in this thing. I want to get some exposure, but I don't want to buy it. Like that was the scenario. That was like the sandbox that I drew myself. Mm. So, so, so then I started looking into, it, okay, is there a way to get some exposures to this thing without actually buying a Bitcoin? Like that was that was the question that I posed myself. Is there a way mm. to do it? Uh, then I spent probably the next couple of months researching this this thing to see if there's any way to do it. In the, in the traditional setting, what would you do is that you would actually go into a synthetic uh, uh, option, right? You will have a synthetic exposure that tracks the performance of the underlying asset without actually buying the underlying asset, which is like another super nerdy way of looking at things like i guess most people wouldn't even think that far but i but i was thinking about that so one thing led to another i found out that back then on um, on um, exchanges like bitfinex mm. there was a there was places in which you can do margin lending and margin lending is essentially just a form of asset-backed lending uh, which, which in principle, is not that much different than what we're doing today. The mechanics were very different, but the underlying principle is actually quite similar. So then I started doing that. Uh, uh, and then because of the nature of the margin loan, most of them are super short term. So anywhere between one to 10 hours, because pe people just people do day trading with it, right? Yeah. It basically, it's the other side of leverage. And uh, it was extremely short term, and then there was a lot of them, and then each loan can be something, you know, it can be like five dollars for all that I care. So very soon I realized, okay, you can't do this manually because then constantly you just have to sit in front of the computer and manually click loans all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a technical background, so so what I did was that uh, I just went to uh, I went to GitHub and got a whole bunch of code together. Like I can't code for shit, but I can you know patch things together. It, it worked like it was like a shitty Frankenstein type of a thing, but it worked. Uh, 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 got a bunch of code together and then went to work. Got a server from Microsoft and just went. It's like okay, I, I need that server. Give it to me. I need to do some stuff at home. They're like, yeah, sure, take it. Mm. Uh, so I took it home and then uh, uh, and then I was like, okay, so I need a place where there's uh, constant electricity, internet connection, uh, noise is not a factor. And no one will ever go there. I'm like, where would that be? Well, my mom's basement. So I, I, I drove to my mom's house in the suburbs. 
uh, and they have like a whole basement with literally just like a storage room, but then there's internet connections and uh, heating and ventilation. So I just like took this server, shove it in there, put put on uh, put on the code. Then I think I sent like twenty twenty thousand dollars of my own money to Bitfinex to 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 do this thing. Mm. So that, then I forgot about it for like half a year or so. Then I came mm. back to check the results. The the back then the return on the margin loans were like stupidly high. They make no sense whatsoever. It should never be that high. You just what what, what is what was the uh, return? I think on the dollars we were making like more than sixty percent a year. Mm. Like that's 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 in like kind of the traditional setting. Uh, given what well, you know i wasn't going for the 10x my bitcoin money type of a guy anyway so so that type of a return giving given the uh, risk like the risk adjusted return was stupidly high it didn't make any sense at all since it's asset backed right so it's over collateralized loan if anything mm. you make like very little money on that mm. uh, which is close to the truth nowadays so as a market become more efficient. So, so then what I did was like, okay, this makes no fucking sense whatsoever. What do I do? Uh, uh, I wrote an email to my professors at school and I said, hey, you taught me all of this stuff. This doesn't make any sense. Explain it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine. Come have lunch. These, these were your finance professors that yeah, uh, are looking this from a traditional finance point of view to to what you are encountering in the crypto world. Yeah, but but... But you would think that doesn't really matter, right? Because at the end of the day, it's another asset that has value of, mm. of, of like qualities from like, it's like a wacky combination of things. But then as long as it works within the framework of money, the financial theories and understanding should apply. And their like, conclusion was it's a casino. What are you doing? Or no, was it? No, they didn't. No, no, they didn't say that. They didn't say, like, no, they didn't really say that. So. Mm. So what did they say? So they, they had a look. They were like, you know, we don't know enough about the market to mm. answer you. So they, like, I mean, they're 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 very you know bright uh, academics, right? So mm. so they wouldn't say things like you know it's a casino, get out of there. Like they wouldn't jump to a conclusion. They just wouldn't do it. So they were exceedingly polite. They basically said we don't know enough about it. Uh, this is very interesting. Please let us know how like how this develops. Mm. Because that back then it was like nothing, right? So so this was around the time of like 2016 or something. Okay. And then right, right before the Bitcoin price started to move so much, your average local paper started writing about it. Yeah. So at that point I was like, okay, fine. If the folks at school don't know what this is, uh, how about the practitioners? How about the people who actually do this for a living? So I just mm. cold emailed. Uh, a few CEOs of uh, local asset managers, right? So, okay. yeah, I just call email them. I said like, hey, my name's Yichen. Uh, you don't know me. I'm doing this. Uh, I can't, like, the st stuff doesn't really make any sense. Mm. The, the university folks don't know. Uh, uh, you do you do finance for a living. So, so maybe you know something. Would you like to, you know, can I come and tell you what I do? And then you can provide me some bit back. Uh, a bit, bit uh, 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 some, some feedback. So there was nothing. Uh, uh, but then, to my surprise, a whole bunch of them actually said, "Yeah, sure, show up." Like, you know, who is this random young kid? Uh, let's, let's, uh, you know, like they say, what they in the movie? They probably thought, "Let's see what the kids got." 
So, 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 so then I showed up. Uh, then uh, I guess I'm an overtly enthusiastic person by nature, so I explained these things, and I was like, okay, intellectually this is interesting, but I don't understand this. That what do you think? Maybe it's this that I did a lot of thinking myself, so I had a lot of things to talk about anyway. Mm. Uh, and then one thing led to another. Uh, uh, those feedback meetings, couple of them turned into a founding meeting. Because by then, uh, some of their clients start going to ask them, like, okay, what the hell is this Bitcoin thing that people write about? Did I get some? To which their answer is obviously, well, we don't know anything about this Bitcoin thing because we don't have any expertise in this, right? I can help you pick a you know, German mid-market buy-off fund to invest in, but mm. like, this is a thing that I just don't know about. Then me out of nowhere showed up and I said, like, I'm doing this thing. Would you like to have a look? So then that basically turned into a funding meeting at the end of the at the end of the discussion they were like well this is very interesting you know here's some money why don't you you know take a run at it see how far you can it's, take it's the it's the classic th classic thing ask for advice you get money ask for funding you get advice yeah like like and and the, the the difference here is that this is not the first company i founded and honest to god the first time i went there for the first few meetings i was literally there was no funding because i didn't know there was enough to 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 run money with this thing mm. Uh, and then, and then, then yeah. So we got a couple of like we got a local quantitative hedge fund to join the round because the thing we were doing was, was the, so. Was yeah. the round disclosed? How much was it? Uh, that was. I don't think that was ever disclosed. I we didn't raise it like all that much money. Uh, it was like a few hundred thousand euros. Not nothing. Okay. Nothing too much. And then we got a. Then we got a non-dilutional grant from the Finnish government to basically match that. Interesting. Uh, so we, yeah, so basically, oh, I mean, if you have a good business, the last thing you should do is sell equity, right? It makes yep. no sense whatsoever. So we basically started the business with the idea that we don't want to be like Uber, where we gone for actual valuation, uh, go go for high valuation. We wanted to go for a business where you actually made money. Mm -hmm. So, so, so we sold as little equity as we could, and then mm -hmm. we never raised another round just because, well, well, why would you do that? Like if your business makes money, you just shouldn't do it. <clears throat> so so we did that, uh, and then that was the beginning of the company, and then that's how Wayland started it, basically. Which was just before the 2017 bull run, then. No, no, no. It was it was we. Uh, so the as always, the paperwork, the lawyers took like quite mm. a while, and then summer hits. Uh, everything took another like two, three months. So basically, all the everything was done by age to 2019. Uh, we didn't really officially open shop until <clears throat> until the first uh, until officially we started operating on first of 2018. But we started working on the team started working on the concept and the product already in Q4 2019, because all of us had like non-compete and all of those things. Plus, somewhere in between, we also had a, uh, I also lost the original CTO candidate. So there was a bit of hassle around that, so. Understood. So just uh, somebody posted a question, or I don't know, maybe it was mm. more of a comment. Sixty percent return mm. was this, <laughs> was this BitConnect. This guy is right. on point with a joke today. BitConnect. Uh, for for well, those who don't know, Bitcoin Connect uh, is the infamous uh, cryptocurrency. You you should Google the guy where you say Bitcoin Connect. Maybe we can put it in the show notes with sure, a very sure. hyped uh, seller. 
which didn't turn out to be so good. But uh, I guess the question it, it was where where were you actually trading? But I think you said Bitfinex, right? So that was where you yeah, were doing so, the, the so, margin. So a couple of things I would like to clarify here. So we don't trade. We don't buy and sell Bitcoin ever. That is not what we do. What we do is that we start with dollars or Bitcoins or whatever we have, then we land it out as a loan. The 60% return means that if I had 100 Bitcoin and then I, I kept on going. So, so I think at any given point in time, we have, I think in a year back then, we would choose through half a million loans half a million individual loans in a year. Mm. So that means, say, if you have 100 Bitcoin, you let us manage it, we will just continuously loan it out and uh, like, uh, like a nonstop continuous cycle. And mm. then at the end of the year, you will have 160 instead of 100. Uh, and in, during all of which, there was no trading. We, we didn't buy anything. We didn't sell anything. We were on the credit risk side of things. And the 60% return exists for one reason and one reason only, which is the people who are on the borrowing side. So our customers, they don't check price. Mm. They didn't check price. And there's a reason for that. Uh, say if you are if you're a day trader, right? So you, you say I wanna I wanna 5x my position and then uh, uh, I wanna 5x my position, my annualized interest rate on those loans, let's say it's a hundred percent, right? A hundred percent is zero point three percent a day. So that means if I borrow the money, if I borrow that money for eight hours, uh, the the I'm, I'm gonna pay zero point one percent of my underlying of the borrowing amount, and my expected return is fifty percent because I'm just taking a gamble. It's either zero or nothing. At that point, it doesn't really matter what the annualized return is for this guy. He will just borrow anything. So. So the only reason that yielded so much return was because the market was never at equilibrium because the people on the other side didn't want to spend any effort doing price discovery. It was just like, okay, there's there's a limit of availability and I want to leverage up. Whatever the price is, I don't really give a shit. Take it, let's go. Mm. So, so that's not the case anymore. So if you if you go to if you go to Bitfinex to do exactly what we did back then today, your mm. annualized return on dollars will be somewhere around you know eight or seven or eight percent, and that seven or eight percent is exactly correct because you can go to a lending desk and you borrow. That's exactly the term, right? So that means the market has become more efficient in terms yep. of price discovery on the lending side, which is exactly why people like us should exist because we are the one who push that push it towards uh, increased efficiency on that. It's sort of the same rate that we're seeing on things like DAI, right? Right, Where you you uh, can, uh, can put up your ETH for collateral and you get uh, an 8% or so annualized return. It, it's, exact, it's exactly the same principle. Uh, you sh it, it's determined by supply and demand. Whenever you see a return like you know 60% or something, that means there's something that is not working correctly. Because mm. if it is, then there will be enough people on the supply side to push the margin down, mm. or at least like further away from sixty. Because sixty is way too not normal. Mm. I see. A uh, question from Dries. He's on it today. Uh, question: Have you seen increased interest from investors in the last month, specifically with the unprecedented money printing from central banks? Mm. 
No, not really. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding here. So uh, people often talk about uh, how Bitcoin is a, a, a safe haven from traditional assets. Uh, that's just not true. That's not true. So we, we look at we look at that number very closely. Uh, uh, the Bitcoin price movement has become increasingly correlated with other asset classes in the past five years. And even more so, whenever the market is going through dramatic uh, volatility. So the more volatile the market is, the more correlated Bitcoin becomes with everything else. So, so this whole myth that Bitcoin is a, a safe haven like gold, it's just completely like mistaken. Like nowadays it's becoming less and less so. So that's point one. Point two. <clears throat> so 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 what is the what is the natural consequences of central bank pumping money is actually asset price inflation. So 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 the more money a central bank pumps, the more expensive things like houses, you know, shares in in, in, Nike, in Amazon and Nike, all of those assets, their price would 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 appreciate. And then part of that is a function of inflation. The other part is the natural economic growth underneath it. And it's really difficult to split those two things. The kind of people that would have investable, uh, uh, disposable income, uh, disposable wealth for investments are the ones who already own assets. So let's say, let's, let's say like the central bank pump out $100 billion into a specific market. And as a result of that, the asset price rises 5%. So everything is worth 5% less than what it used to be. But guess what? Like the people who will think about this kind of problems, so the potential investors, as, as, as you mentioned, they already own those assets. They don't necessarily need to shift their allocation to capture that inflation, which in a way it will happen to them naturally because they have assets to begin with. The people who live on incomes, for example, this whole discussion is not relevant. Like they are the one getting screwed because asset prices are going up way faster than their real income increases. Like they are the one getting screwed. The investors are fine. The family offices that I talk to uh, 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 who are thinking about this particular problem you just mentioned, they'll do just fine. They don't make you, more money in crisis than ever. Don't you expect when there's, let's say, quarter, the, the second quarter figures are coming out and there, there's a larger reality check of the depression that suddenly there's a uh, shift in what happens to equities and that might turn things around where suddenly they do want that that those funds to, to be allocated elsewhere? Uh so, so here's another thing. Um, if you look at history of, if you look at history of every single financial screw ups we've had in the Western, mm -hmm. in the Western economy, uh, to which the government had a stimulus, kind of a fiscal stimulation package to counter mm -hmm. this, because technically you can argue you can do things on the monetary policy side, but you know nobody does that anymore for whatever reason. So. If you look at all of those instances and you study what happens when central bank pump money into mm -hmm. systems and then typically do it through uh, a QE basically is another way to, to, to pump up the MY money supply. So the, you are layers away 
from actually say the equity market. Mm. The, histor the history has shown us if central bank pumping $100 today, it'll take them about eight months roughly on average for that money to hit the equity market. It takes about uh, less than that to hit the bond market. Right. Okay. So this is the this is the this is the lead time that we have between stimulus package and uh, asset price inflation. Now, uh, the Americans, the Federal Reserve Bank, most of the money they're pumping in went in in the past thirty days or so. Right. Which means, if anything, if you want to see what happens of this money, it is not now. It's somewhere around Christmas and early next year. That's when the asset price, you will see the actual effect. Every volatility that you see in the traditional market today, it's nothing but just human sentiments moving things back and forth. There's no fundamental. The stimulus package people are thinking about, they don't kick in for another half a year and more. Mm. Like it, it just doesn't. So so when, when you think about the questions, okay, so What's going to happen next quarter if there are more harsh economic unemployment numbers coming into the economy? That would would people start allocating money out of their asset price away from uh, from where they already have their money uh, uh, to elsewhere? Uh, the question is that well, if you're a smart investor, you wouldn't actually, because mm. if you're a smart investor, what you're going to do is that you're going to sit on this thing until next uh, January. You're just gonna sit and you're gonna see how the stimulus the stimulus package actually pump into the equity market because it's definitely not a negative one. And if you take money out now, you will actually miss that historically, statistically accurate on ramp. So when other people's assets are appreciating because there's just too much money being printed, you're the one sitting on the sidelines. Uh, uh, then inflation is gonna kick your ass even if you're good at investing to begin with. So, so, so those are the like I'm not sure how, um, how how widespread those knowledges are. I don't know if people understand that. Uh, uh, and, and and then put put this into the grander scheme of things, like putting the kind of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin slash Bitcoin discussion into context of this, you will realize uh, mm. uh, there's a reason why cryptocurrency hasn't taken off in a way that people on Reddit think they should have. And it's for a very simple reason. It's just, it's too small, like no one cares. Like literally, no, it's way too small. We're at a baby, baby stage of something that are pretty small anyway. So so what would need to happen for that to change? Uh, well, so, so, there, so there's a couple of things. Um, I think what would be a killer if, if the if the question is what would happen for cryptocurrency to become mainstream, right? Because because until it goes mainstream, nobody cares. Like literally no one cares. Or someone come up with a giant synthetic market on top of it. Because what you're describing is that the people with money, those who benefit from the stimulus uh, package and have the assets, they would also be the ones driving ultimately the price. Well, well, it depends on how cynical you are. There's several ways to to play this out. Uh, so, so I have a little framework uh, I use to think about this sort of things. Uh, if you don't mind, I can share with you. So, yeah. So, so once again, if you look at look, if you look at the history of humanity, right, the concept mm. of money is actually not super 
old. It's only like a few thousand years old, right? I think it's like 5,000 years ago, the concept of money was invented. Before then, people were just like bothering stuff with each other, with our neighbors, you know, a stick to a carrot or whatever. So, so the stones, so, the island stones. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so for vast majority of the time of human history, we had money, and the money was controlled centrally by the government, which I called the government's money. Hmm. And and then uh, exactly a bit over ten years ago, uh, when Satoshi wrote the paper, and from that day till today, what we have is actually uh, a completely uncensored, uh, decentralized version of money or attempts at being that. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a Bitcoin and, and a whole bunch of others, uh, 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 other alternatives to it. And in my book, what I call those, I call those like people's money. Because mm -hmm. in the case of Bitcoin, literally no one controls it. Uh, it's completely decentralized. There's no supervision, nothing. So well, your, your fellow countrymen control it. <laughs> Not kidding. Go on. Okay. So the, my fellow countrymen controls the mining. And that's yes. actually not the same thing as control because it's controlling the mining. They're layers. They're layers. And also the set, like, like the system is designed so that the one who control the mining have no incentive to screw up the system because if they do screw up the system, they're actually the one who get hurt the most. Yes. The system are. You know, beautifully designing that sense. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're like an engineering type of people, like you, you, you really appreciate the, 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 the elegance of the system. Exactly. But now, two years ago, what has been really interesting is that uh, 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 Facebook tried that whole liberal thing. Mm -hmm. The Facebook version of this is what I call the corporate money. Yeah. So look at the history. For 5,000 years, we have government's centralized money. Yeah. For 10 years, we have people's money, which is the extreme opposite of what the government's money is. And for the past two years, Facebook is trying to do corporate. the corporate money, which is basically the government's money without the border. It's definitely yeah. not people's money. It's decentralized on the tech layer, but not on the control layer, right? Mm. So, so then the question becomes, uh, what needs to happen for cryptocurrency to go uh, uh, mainstream. And I will say Libra is a version of cryptocurrency. Mm. And I will say if, if I project X amount of years uh, into the future, the future will consist of all three of those solutions uh, competing with each other. Uh, uh, I think people's money will remain a, a, a kind of a unregulated odd child of the family in a way that you know, nobody really wants to use it. Uh, nobody really wants to deal with it because it's a lot of hassle, but it has certain applications uh, mm -hmm. uh, where you want, like, you know, the censorship or resistance, you know, the criminals will continue loving using Monero. Like, that won't change. Governments ain't going to go anywhere. You know, if anything, uh, if anything, I will bet on money uh, is that humanity will never run out of shitty governments. Like, there will be plenty of those coming for the years to come. What I think will actually win this battle is actually corporate money, mm. because we won't have an infrastructure and a legal framework to really supervise effectively those multinational companies. So they will just do whatever they want. Eventually, sooner or later, uh, Libra will be pushed, will be launching one way or another. And if you think about the, the context in which those things will be used, uh, it will be an instant success. People will use it. People will use it. 
And then I think those are the necessary steps for things to to move forward to this for this thing to become bigger than what it is now. Coming back to uh, your your uh, you being Chinese, how do you look at what China is doing with their uh, central bank currency? Like what you're describing is a large mm-hmm. company. Well, in China, you have Ali Alipay, you have WeChat, where they could incorporate or force the incorporation of such a digital currency, and then that could to lead to mass adoption. Uh, so that's on the government side. And then you're saying like Libra with Facebook and the commercial sort of consortium around that could do the same for commercial companies. And then cryptocurrencies is sort of, um, you know, on the outskirt trying to do Monero stuff. Uh, but but start looking at the government um, initiative in China. How do you how do you look at that? And, and maybe from a, a Chinese perspective, I don't know. Maybe you look at it differently uh, than we do. Obviously, you mentioned capital flight earlier, right? Um, so how do how do you look at that? Right. So 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 couple couple of uh, maybe maybe couple of points to to worth bringing up here. So one, uh, 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 China is an interesting place because. Uh, one of the argument you you have for uh, bringing cryptocurrency forward in Western society is that it's an easy way for you to digitize cash. It will digitize that part of the economy. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys been to China for the past ten years. That country has no cash. Mm-hmm. That country is already on the retail level is completely digital. Uh, Alipay and WeChat process basically all the transactions. You will have a street vendor selling you know fifty cents noodles. Uh, the person will have a QR code on their stands. You scan, and that's how you pay things. Uh, that's a level of uh, digitalization of cash in that country. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when people talk about People's Republic of uh, uh, the, the, the central bank in China launching a digital currency, uh, that particular thing is not for people on the street to use. It's basically an interbank digital currency. So basically, the central bank uh, uh, would use that uh, uh, to basically trace where all the money goes to, which that layer of money supplies digital anyway. I mean, what, 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 what you, you think what Federal Reserve uh, say, you know, we printed uh, a trillion dollar, they actually print a trillion dollar, they print nothing, they go to a computer terminal, type a key. Uh, but uh, what, yeah. When we look at um, uh, the articles that have come out, you do see these interfaces with this special special uh, digital currency that seems yep. to have an end user experience. Uh, what what are we looking at then? So so uh, I don't know and nobody knows, but this is mm. what I think. Like this, that thing is nothing but about control. So if they manage to build this system, because they don't, they don't need to have this layer of money going all the way down to WeChat level mm. because they have WeChat. Or they can force, they can just tell WeChat and Alipay, hey, from, starting from tomorrow, you're going right. to use our uh, uh, version of the money. So yeah. basically, if that is in place, you'd be tremendous in a sense that from the second the central bank print a dollar out, all the way till you know a box of you know a box of noodle is bought like 17 days later, you will trace mm-hmm. exactly how that money goes to who touched anywhere. So- so it's literally only about the worst part for crypto, like from a cryptocurrency perspective, about traceability to the advantage of oversight and control. Right, because a Bitcoin is extremely traceable, but extremely yes. anonymous, yes. right? So if you force that 
uh, if you force everybody to put a name on their traceability, then you have a perfectly traceable system. I mean, mm -hmm. think about how excited the tax people would be when you pitch this idea. It's like their wet dream, right? It's it's but what it, we've been saying uh, for a long time when we were talking to authorities. It's more traceable than you think. And what I mean, but what you're describing true. is where, like, you know, the nightmare for some people in the cryptocurrency space is where you tie fundamentally identity to this blockchain. At which point everything is entirely traceable all the time, and there's no way to hide. Nowhere to that, hide. And that's a very easy way for the government to come in here because at the end of the day, they hold. Uh, you know they hold uh they hold the army and the police and you need to do what they tell you to do at the end of the day right so so just just coming i i out of curiosity when when you look at alipay and wechat and you describe the cashless society well sweden often we're in sweden as a fellow and i'm here in sweden and we it's often bragged about being the first at least western uh, country that is cashless and obviously a lot of people miss what's going mm -hmm. on with alipay and wechat can you describe why those companies have been able to to get it to that level of integration? Is that pure because it's a top-down sort of push to the market where they have a monopoly over the market, uh, which companies like Facebook and other like big social media companies just simply haven't been able to put this ecosystem today together? Or how did it how it came about that they that China with with the companies that we're describing here? Uh, have come so so much further ahead than let's say the Western world. Well, is your question basically why are WeChat and Alipay popular in China? Is that your question? Not so much popular, right? Because we have uh, popular apps. Facebook is arguably the most popular app in the world with billions of users. But the sort of integration on a financial uh, with different services, because that's the, the power of a lot of these apps where you can go from A to B and everything you can okay. pay with a QR code. <laughs> so they've gotten much further ahead with this sort of deep integration into into multi-services. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's a couple of things here. One, um, uh, the reason why WeChat and uh, Alipay is everywhere in terms of payment, it's because WeChat, the chatting app, was basically a default app for every Chinese person on this planet. Mm. So, so basically, it's like WhatsApp launched the payment platform tomorrow. Is people going to use it? Sure, just because there's two billion people on it, <laughs> right? Just because, like, this, this, this is the classic network effect, right? The, the the value of a payment system is a function of uh, of the number of the participant to to the square of two. Like that's yeah. that's network effect. And payment is one of those things. And like the what do you need payment for? Like as easily as you can send money to people you know. If yeah. everybody's on the same network, it makes everyone's life easier, right? Uh, and then the second thing, how did it become so integrated with everything else? Well, the reason is actually in China, basically every single tech you can think of is owned by three companies. Mm. So Alipay is uh, is owned by Alibaba, so Jack Ma's company, <clears throat> and then WeChat is owned by Tencent. Those are those two companies have their like fingers in pretty much everything you can think of in that country. Uh, it wasn't so much how was the scale achieved, but it rather. Uh, if your company came up with a payment system, wouldn't you at least want everything in your ecosystem to use it? And when that mm -hmm. ecosystem is large enough, aka cover the entire damn country, you automatically have that scale and that integration. It's mm -hmm. by it's by original design. It was meant to do exactly that. Interesting. 
Okay, uh, oh, we're we're going through the time uh, like there's no tomorrow with yeah. with a bunch of questions. But I'll I'll allow for questions from uh, from people watching uh, by Dries. What you say about this six month delay may have been more relevant in the past, but in the last round of quantitative easing, the Fed is directly pumping the bond and repo market and indirectly keeping stock prices high. Uh, so uh so correct uh correct up till the last end and the rest are incorrect so 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 the fed is pumping money and this time is different than the previous qe for a specific reason because mm. previously they don't uh they don't buy corporate junk bond or specifically corporate junk fund etf that's what they're buying they're not buying a bond directly they're buying the mm. etf and they're buying an ETF not because they need to save those companies. It's because the ETFs are an indirect mechanism to add liquidity into the bond market. When the, when the liquidity dries, that's when everything goes wrong. Hmm. So as long like there's not so much of a, a, a bad thing if the share price drops or like the bond price drops, that's all okay. The liquidity dries, everything's screwed. Like that's what we learned from 2008. That's why they're pumping money to. Uh, that's why Blackstone is buying at the discretion of Treasury, uh, who got the money from Fed, I guess, uh, is buying the ETF because then the ETF have an obligation to actually go to the uh, uh, to the market to actually buy those underlying junk bonds. Mm -hmm. So only difference between now and what QE has been is basically they started buying junk bonds, nothing more. That's the basic and the quantity, of course. And the, the the intensity of it. So, so, so going from buying somebody's junk bond to the equity having a reaction, I will say that delay is as evidence as ever, and it's not going to happen anytime soon. You could argue that because you buy the junk bond now, the reaction will be quicker, but that's more like going from eight months to six months rather than from eight months to eight weeks. But but are you still describing an inevitable collapse of what? Um, I guess the equities market because you're you're talking about delays of delay effects um, of of the diff the different uh, mechanisms that you're describing end up with a delay of X months, but ultimately then something happens after that certain delay. No, not really. So no? so people people often talk about inflation as if it's a super bad thing, but it really isn't. And and that especially in the case of United States, it's a bit different because they're mm. the only country on the planet that can print money to pay debt. Mm. Like that, that that's 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 actually they're the only country that who can do stuff like this. And and then secondly, uh 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 Uh, sorry, I, I give me one second. I'll take out one thing. See if I can find a second. Well, you can post your final questions because we're getting to the end here. So if anyone is still uh, <laughs> still has some questions outstanding, post them now. You're getting a masterclass here from Ichen. I hear nothing. Let's see if he's coming back. We can stare at the wall. Uh, <laughs> this is building the suspense. So for those who are uh, uh, still uh, with us here, uh, next uh, next week we're going to have David Birch on the show, who just uh, maybe you can show that uh, uh, Matt while we're waiting back for Ichen to return. 
So David Birch just uh, 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 created a, wrote a book, uh, which is sort of connected to our discussion here today um, on uh, the, the title is The Currency Cold War Cash and C Cryptography Hash Rates and Hegemony, uh, which it's definitely going to touch a lot of the on, on a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about uh, um, today with Ichen. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, if you're interested, you can can already have a peek at his book and order it. Let's see if he's back. Yes, he Sorry, is oh, back. Had a, had a had a person had a had a knock on the uh, at the door. The 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 joy of working from home at uh, during Corona times. Uh, yes, as 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 I was saying, there's a there's a popular theory in 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 economics uh, that basically says that as long as your unemployment is not zero, so as long as there is still you know additional work, like, there's still additional capital, aka humans, to expand the economy, inflation is okay. Because mm. as long as like it doesn't really matter as long as there are people who are still jobless, there's still basically room left to buffer. And we are far, far away from that. So the mm. fact that you pump money into a system where the artificial asset price goes up, so what? Like so what? Like mm. the, the economy doesn't collapse just because of that. It doesn't. Right, it sucks for income in distribution, uh, like a distribution. If the salaries, the, if the income don't catch up as much as the capital gain implied by, by this money pump, but that's mm. like government's job to make sure that doesn't really happen. The Americans are not doing that good of a job at that. But that, that uh, was my <laughs> that was my follow up. Um, yeah, no, because not. isn't that exactly what's happening for the average em employee in the U.S. where that but gap totally. just because to yeah, totally. so you get it in totally. the end. You are talking about increasing inequality uh, in a, in a, in a country like the U.S., which then might lead to a different kind of uh, negative outcome that is maybe harder to predict. Yeah, but for okay, so so a collapse would mean uh, a, a collapse would mean that. Uh, uh, the price have deviated from the fair value and is coming mm. like and this the action of com the process of coming down that's your correction right that's right. your correction. for that to happen you would have to like the premises is that if this is your fair value this is your current value there's a bunch mm. of errors in the middle but then yes. I think today what has actually changed for me was that previously the finding out where those things are were left to the market. Mm -hmm. The price discovery in financial market was somewhat accurate, more or less to a larger extent. You can see where those things are, right? Mm -hmm. What has actually changed in the recent years was that people suddenly realized, okay, actually you could have a company where on its own the value is here, because you know it has a shitty management, they don't know what the hell they were doing, you know, whatever, right? And and the price is here. In the traditional setting, you will say, okay, that's overpriced. The, the, the price should come down to this at some point. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking in terms of equity, mm -hmm. but that's not really the case anymore because what the government has shown around the world is that they're willing to step down and bail those guys out, even if they suck. So what that means is that you will, that's actually what's called a, uh, a public sector premium. 
So you have the fair value of the company, then you will have a fair premium because even if they fuck up, the government's going to- The bailout premium. <laughs> yeah, that, well, it's not necessarily a bailout premium in the context of COVID, right? It isn't. Mm. But the, the very fact that the government has shown how far they're willing to do, mm. uh, how far they're willing to go, like we're seeing unprecedented stuff now. This is like unprecedented stuff. We've never had this much money being pumped into an economy. So, but, so that, but at some at some point, this gets out of whack, right? So you're going to have an increase, increase. People have less money to spend because salaries don't catch up. And at some point, this becomes so big where it becomes, you know, comes tumbling down to a more fair value in terms of production. No, in the no, end, we're no, like the, no, we're still no, boring. No. The people are boring from themselves, right? The people are no, boring no, from the population. Really. Not really. Like what's keeping the asset price up is the supply and demand, right? Basically, if you right. constantly keep up the supply of money, like as long as you're printing, this music will never stop. But but it, it is wealth transfer, right? In the end, because you have people who can borrow the money and yeah. buy the equities and bonds, and you're gonna have an increasing lower class, middle class that are just completely. Uh, and at some point, that's going to catch up because who are still going to buy, buy the products of these companies that are you, you know, inflated by the people who are able to put money into them versus the people who need to buy the products. At some point, you have a complete disconnect between the, the fair value of that company and it being kept up this high because it's going to be built out by, again, the, 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 the money that is supposedly owned by, uh, put in by we the people, as they say in the U.S., I mean, I at some point, it comes tumbling down, right? <laughs> right? I see what you mean. So I think there's two concepts need to be separated here. Yeah. There's one, which is like, let's call them the uh, the real economic value of, of, of a country, right? So those are, yes. you know, the factories, the actual output of, you know, I don't know what the hell they're making in America nowadays, cowboy boots or whatever they make up there. Uh, uh, so that's a real economic output of it. Mm-hmm. And then here's the numerical value you assign to this thing. Right. What we have seen so far is that this part is not growing. And because of COVID, it's actually shrinking a tiny bit in short term. In long run, it's probably going to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this, this numerical number that we assign to this thing has suddenly gotten bigger. And it's getting bigger all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so the the wealth distribution that we're thinking about, you need to separate. Is it? Are we talking about the numbers? Or are we talking about the real economic like economy at, at 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 the end? I feel like the 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 fundamental shift of the impact of the things that we talked about. It's a transition between the lower middle class to the asset owning class. Like that is like undeniably what's going to happen. If mm. they pump this much money, like you know, anyone with a first-year economic degree can see that. But mm. the 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 question, to, like you are wondering, is that at which point mm. will the price of the asset collapse? I would argue that it wouldn't necessarily collapse. Like I mean, you you would just basically like this number would just expand, and at some point it will either stop expanding and it would just stay there. It's the same thing as comparing. Uh, uh, if you compare, uh, 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 if you compare to the, you know, 1970s uh, uh, in US, what is like the price, general price level? You compare it to, to today, you will say, oh, okay, well, today's uh, t- today's uh, 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 price level are so high. Why hasn't it collapsed? It doesn't really matter. Like as long as 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 I, as I mentioned earlier, as long as the economy is not 
you know, shrinking, as long as there's more people who don't have a job, you can just pump money and this ball will just get bigger. Uh, that's yeah. like the intrinsic, uh, uh, yeah, like there's nothing wrong with that either. But we are going to an economy that's shrinking with the amount of unemployment we're seeing in the US, right? Like 30 million people are unemployed. And I think, isn't there like a, a shrinking of the economy? I mean, we're waiting for the Q2, but this is the thing. Then you don't you get that, you know, typical shock effect where suddenly everything turns in the other direction and you get like the market crash uh, uh, that results in that. I mean, it, I don't know how much of retail is still an aspect of this, right? Because what you're describing is maybe those said those downward turns were traditionally more maybe sparked by retail, but since there's such a a discrepancy between who's now owning these assets the retail maybe doesn't have that kind of impact anymore like do you know how much of the the this these asset classes are still impacted by the retail uh yeah. sector so so here's a here's a interesting uh uh interesting thing here so uh if you look at us equity market about 90 percent are owned by institutions Mm. So ninety percent of the of the U.S. equity market is owned by that. Uh, you know what's the equivalent number for for cryptos? Uh, no, it's, tell it, me. It's a reverse of that. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So so ninety percent of like, can you tell me quickly what 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 was it ten years ago in the equities market? What was the distribution like? Like let's say during two thousand eight or even two thousand. Uh, that Has I that don't. changed? That that huh? I don't. I don't know that I don't okay. know. I right. think historically, US is also a bit weird in a way that um, uh, uh, in US, like most of the financial system tend to concentrate uh, uh, in, in, in financial institutions. I think mm. the European numbers are already a bit better. Like mm. US is more concentrated in that way. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that like that's not an indication of inequality between those parties it's just that how much is concentrated by what profile of people hmm. right so 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 and then when you think about it if the u.s equity market is controlled 90 percent by the institutions hmm. who are basically the direct recipients and benefactors of all of those packages because you think like one munchin like print a trillion dollars he's thinking about how this will help you know the, the the single mom in detroit who has no jobs no that's not how it works because that person doesn't own any asset he's probably net worth negative at the moment mm. right like it doesn't concern them whatsoever so so it doesn't subsidize income it subsidizes asset price like mm. that's the thing that people need to understand like most of us live on income none of that has almost nothing to do with us Okay, so final question then. Um, I, 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 just to put a question for William Watson, I'll have I have my question, but William Watson, uh, just about traceability. William, I, I recommend you that you watch um, last week's episode with Sven Martinson from Valega Chain, where we really talked for like more than an hour or an hour about traceability of crypto. So I recommend to watch that show from last week or listen to it on on, on a podcast. Um, but one follow up question then, because you say in in uh, and then we need to <laughs> call it quits for today. We just keep talking. Um, well, we, we need to talk about cryptocurrency at some point. Ex so. Exactly. Well, that was my last question then to to finish up because you said ninety percent is owned by the retail uh, sector in crypto. So what what conclusions do you draw from that uh, as it relates to the equities market? Uh, 
And why right. does it then still follow the equities market as much as it does uh, when you described this earlier? Uh, actually, actually, it, it helps to a certain extent explain that phenomenon. So, so a couple of insights you can draw from that. One, uh, if it's 90% retail, it's extremely prone to manipulation. Mm. That's one. Two, if it's 90% retail, retail tend to be very sentiment driven. That means the volatility will be inherently higher. Mm. The other reason is because uh, retail tend to move in batches, whereas financial institutions, if there's enough people buying something, then you will have financial institutions who basically jump on direct directly on the other side, start shorting it. And this 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 long and short is the thing that balances and stabilizes the price in long long time. You don't have that uh, in retail because retail tend to just hoard on one side of the equation, and that would just mm. like further the swing back and back and forth. And then uh, and then lastly. Uh, uh, like retail customers tend to have a very different set of criteria, but re because retail customers care very much about the immediate short-term uh, uh, volatilities, uh, like that expectation is eventually become a self-fulfilling prophecy for their own actions. So, so those are like the the, the, the few things uh, uh, I will draw from this comment. Okay. Um, I think we'll have to leave it at that <laughs> for the, uh, today, Ichen. I think we could talk for hours we more. Uh, so we we'll do this again. About, we didn't talk about landing at all. <laughs> no, I know. So we have a whole subject to go into next time. There we go. Um, there we go. I, I'd like to thank you for your time. Um, uh, just, uh, uh, I, I repeat, uh, uh, I thank Ichen so much for joining us today. Uh, I'll remind everybody next week we have David Birch, the author of the new book, The Currency Cold War, Cash and Cryptography, Hash Rates and Hegemony, uh, if I say that correctly. Uh, I'll, I'll re remind people to sign up for Cefalo Premium at cefalo.com slash premium. Uh, it's uh, the latest product from Cefalo. You get the lowest rate, personalized support, and the same safe and simple user experience that tens of thousands of customers have trusted Cefalo with since 2013. So that's cefalo.com uh, slash premium, and you can sign up today. Um, uh, that's it. And one more time, I'll make a reminder for everybody to sign up to uh, or subscribe to the channel on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, on Facebook. I think we're all all there, uh, as well as on your favorite post, uh, podcast um, uh, show. So make sure to to uh, subscribe and listen to some of the interviews that we had before. So. Uh, I, I, you heard the questions about the traceability of crypto. We really have had a great interview last week about that. So go back and have a read. Uh, and see you next week. Yi Chen, thanks again. Have a good one. And Matt, thank you as well for the technical support. And that's it for today. Tune in next week with David Birch.